What Next, a podcast by Callan DVS. Hello and welcome to Callan Domestic Violence and Abuse Services First Ever Podcast. My name is Michelle Whelan and I will be today's host. Today's podcast theme is What Next and will be to raise awareness of domestic abuse, particularly around the impacts of controlling relationships, the effects of domestic abuse on children and young people and what we can do as organisations, society and individuals to address these issues. During the podcast, we'll hear from a survivor of domestic abuse who will share her story and talk about her experiences and the impacts of domestic abuse on her children. We will also hear from sector experts who will talk about the importance of hearing survivor voices, how survivors inform policy work, the SEEDS project and the impact of adverse childhood experiences. Joining us on today's podcast, I am pleased to welcome Rachel Williams, survivor, ambassador, author, founder of SETDAR and Freedom Programme Facilitator, Joe Hopkins, Cymru Well Wales Adverse Childhood Experiences Support Hub Director, and Gwendolyn Stirk, Head of Public Affairs and Communications for Welsh Women's Aid. Before we open up the podcast to today's guests, I thought it important to set the scene to highlight the prevalence of domestic abuse. According to the Office of National Statistics, an estimated 2 million adults aged 16 to 59 years experienced domestic abuse in the year ending March 2018 equating to a prevalence rate of approximately 6 in 100 adults. Women were around twice as likely to have experienced domestic abuse than men, equating to an estimated 1.3 million female victims and almost 700,000 male victims. The estimates do not take into account the context and impact of the abusive behaviours experienced. Research suggests that when coercive and controlling behaviour is taken into account, the differences between the experiences of male and female victims become more apparent. At least three quarters of a million children a year have witnessed domestic violence. 62% of children exposed to domestic abuse have also been directly harmed. And in 62% of CAFCAS cases, domestic violence is present according to CAFCAS and Women's Aid 2017 report. Domestic abuse is not limited to physical violence. It can include repeated patterns of abusive behaviour to maintain power and control in a relationship. Rachel Williams, our first speaker today, is a survivor of domestic abuse and was in a relationship with her abuser for 18 years. Welcome, Rachel, and thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. I just talked through some statistics about the prevalence of domestic abuse across England and Wales. You were in a relationship with your abuser for over 18 years and experienced many forms of domestic abuse. Can you please talk us through your experiences and how it impacted you and your children? Well... As you said, Michelle, I was with my perpetrator, Darren, for 18 years. um, And I always say if they hit you on the first date um, or speak to you like a piece of rubbish on your first date, you certainly wouldn't go back for a second. It is definitely a grooming process, a drip feed sort of of that poison and that toxicity that you don't realise until you're in it over your neck. And then that's your normal relationship anyway. Um, so as well as the physical abuse, there was mental abuse. Um, like I was a hairdresser, but I wasn't allowed to cut a man's hair. I wasn't allowed to grow my hair long, hence why I wear it long now. Um, I couldn't wear short skirts if I wanted to wear short skirts. Um, yeah, so there was all forms of, of, of abuse, um, even down to financial um, abuse, which I didn't realise he was financially abusing me because he handed me all the uh, responsibility with the finances even though I had his bank card so every month he would demand x amount of money didn't matter whether it was in the pot or not but I had to find it which resulted in me drawing it off my credit card. You decided at one point to leave Darren can you talk us through that and what happened after you left Darren? Yeah so for for me um, you know as we know it's not as easy as just leave 
Um, but I did finally get the courage to leave because my fear then of staying with Darren became greater than the fear of leaving him. Um, this was after he'd strangled me and slit his wrist in front of our youngest son, Jack. That was the 9th of July, 2011. And then um, in that six-week period of me leaving him, um, I was stalked and harassed. Not that it was recognised as stalking and harassment. Um, he went into the home and bleached, um, bleached my clothes. Um, this is after I gave the police a lengthy historical statement. Um, and they arrested down and charged him with common assault. Um, which I wasn't happy with. Mm. Um, but they, they charged him with a common assault. Um, and then, um, yeah, for the, for the six weeks then, like I said, you know, I was just constantly harassed by him. And it resulted in, in him walking into my place of work on the 19th of August 2011, armed with a sawn-off shotgun. Um, there was a battle in the salon. He did hit me with the butt of the gun, which I fell to the floor and I had the presence of mind to pull my knees up under my chin, which took the first shot. The second shot skimmed past my ear. He then put the gun down to reload. Um, I managed to grab the gun and I think I had a supernatural strength. And at that point then he just proceeded to stamp and kick me. Um, and Dan was six foot seven and 22 stone. He was a bodybuilder. Um, so um, I'm lucky to be here. And what happened after that? Can you talk us through? Yeah, so he fled the scene. Um, I was taken to hospital um, where the surgeons managed to save my leg. Um, I was later told that evening that they'd found Darren. He had committed suicide. Um, so that time then I was transferred down to uh, Swansea, um, stayed in Morrison's, then the hospital there. Um, and yeah, basically spent six weeks in hospital recovering from my injuries. Um, during that six weeks in hospital, Jack had decided to go and stay with my ex-in-laws, um, Darren's family, because obviously he wanted some, some sympathy for his dad's death, which he fully couldn't get from my family. Um, and he became a boy no longer recognised. He didn't come down the hospital to visit me. I was trying to make contact with him and his um, messages went from, you know, mum, I'm praying for you, praying for your leg, to it's all your fault, dad's dead, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I knew this wasn't Jack's thoughts, this was the, the wider family's thoughts. Um, and basically he was in a, another toxic environment. I phoned social services from my hospital bed um, and said, you know, you really need to step in um, and remove him from this toxic environment. And I was told by the social worker that he was 16 and he could live where he wants. And so what happened following that from, from the lack of intervention? What happened then? Um, I did hear he was having counselling with CAMS again. I phoned the CAMS department and said, listen, whatever counselling he's having on that morning, he's going back to that environment. So all your good work is being undone within within that space of a couple of hours. Um, so I came out of hospital on the 23rd of September 2011, um, still had no contact with Jack. And like I said, in those six weeks I was in hospital, there was lots of other stuff going on, criminal um, stuff going on. Um, my mum had her tyres slashed on the car and my sister, there was bricks through the, through the window. Um, Jack was caught up in all this. I do believe he was used as a vessel to channel people's anger um, towards me through. And then, um, like I said, the 23rd of September, I came out of hospital and on the Monday, I had a phone call to say Jack had committed suicide on the 26th. And do you think, um, 
based on your experiences, there are enough services out there to support children and young people who are witnessing and experiencing domestic abuse? No, absolutely not. Because, you know, let's, let's not be deranged the bush. You know, children are not witnesses, they're victims of domestic abuse. Um, I hear about children wanting to have counselling and they're stuck on waiting lists. I mean, I can remember phoning um, um, Mind for Darren because obviously he had some sort of issues going on with him as well. And I was told there was a year waiting list. I even went to the GP at the time with Darren um, and told the GP what was going on um, because he was taking anabolic steroids as well as his medication. And I was told that the in-house counsellor wasn't adequate for his needs. And the same was with Jack. There's there's not enough out there for these children to tap into at crisis point. You know, it's always these waiting lists and that's not good enough. And how do you think the gaps in services for children and young people can be addressed? Well, first of all, they need to start sharing information, Mm -hmm. data sharing. This is one of my bugbearers because there's certain stuff... For, for my case alone that, that, that wasn't um, shared between services I mean Dan was a serial perpetrator that was all on his records but nobody picked that up you know he previously tried to um, hurt his previous girlfriend and then he tried to commit suicide so it was all there for everybody to see um, they just need to be joining the dots more and listening to the voice of the children thank you Rachel I understand you've got some campaigns running at the moment. Can you talk us through, talk us through some of those campaigns um, and how people can get involved? Yeah, so um, you can go on my website because they're all on there, which is www.sutda.org. The one is around restraining orders. Um, and I've been dealing and speaking with thousands of women um, victims of domestic abuse and violence. And I say women because that is my passion, women and girls being a, a, a female victim of a male perpetrator. Um, restraining orders they're not worth the paper they're written on there's no deterrent um, the other one is making sure that everybody who deals with domestic abuse cases is specially trained in domestic abuse because this is what we're hearing social workers and and others judges they're not picking up um, and dealing with victims and survivors how they should be because they haven't got the knowledge and the tools um, so that is another one. Then there's the other one around making non-fatal strangulation a specific crime. Mm-hmm. Again, I've not spoken to one victim or survivor of domestic abuse and violence who have said she's never been throttled or strangled by her perpetrator. And then the last one is around family courts and CAFCAS. Again, um, this system is allowing perpetrators to further their abuse through the family court system and it needs a massive overhaul. Thank you, Rachel. And finally, what advice would you give to anyone who is experiencing domestic abuse? Reach out. There's plenty of services out there. You know, if you do hear this message and you are in that environment and you do want to leave, make sure you do it safely. Make sure you contact a police or domestic abuse service because the help is there. You haven't got to be existing in that toxic environment. There is a life out there and there is a life after domestic abuse and violence. Thank you, Rachel. Next, we'll hear from Joe Hopkins. Joe developed the first strategy to eliminate violence against women and girls for the UK government and is passionate about tackling all forms of gender-based violence. Within her role as ACES Hub Director, Joe is also passionate about sharing information and knowledge around adverse childhood experiences and what organisations can do differently to help prevent and mitigate ACES. Welcome, Joe, and thanks for joining us today. Welcome. We've just listened to Rachel's harrowing story and the devastating impact that domestic abuse had on her son, Jack. This is very real and we know that children living with domestic violence suffer emotional and psychological trauma from the impact of living in a household that is dominated by tension and fear. Can you talk us through the work of the ACES Hub and explain to our listeners what ACES are? 
Thank you, Michelle. Yes, I think to start, it's probably important to say what ACEs are. So adverse childhood experiences are uh, experiences that, that children have that then may go on to, and the you know, may is the operative word, go on to, to harm them in later life, either through health or through health harming practice or, you know, continuing a cycle of violence that they have been experiencing as a child. Um, so the, the actual term adverse childhood experiences relates to specific research, which has identified 10 uh, things that children may experience that may then go on to lead on to uh, difficulties in their life course. Um, I want to be very clear, though, that this isn't about saying that anyone who's experienced adverse childhood experiences is predestined to go on to uh, poor health or to behaviours um, that may be negative, because the most important factor around this is to remember is that we all have protective factors around us and some people have access to them and opportunity to to, to um access them more than others um, so for example one person may experience a multiple number of aces and not be impacted mm-hmm. because they have a trusted adult or they are culturally connected to their community and that enables them to cope and, and to to be able to move on others don't have that mm-hmm. uh, so it's really very much whilst we're looking at it at population level very much an individual experience about what they have uh, who supports them and how they can access support if they need it um, in terms of uh, what Rachel has, has just described, which you know is, a, is an incredible story and, and very grateful again to Rachel for sharing that, because it really does demonstrate the importance of understanding the impact of an adverse childhood mm-hmm. experience on a child in an environment where um, domestic violence is, is happening. Some of the other adverse childhood experiences include things like parental separation, uh, drug and alcohol mm-hmm. abuse, uh, parental incarceration, neglect, you know, and, and actually most of these things will be happening simultaneously. It's not just about saying, here's here's one ace, here's another. Mm-hmm. These are complex and chaotic situations and children will be trying to, to manage them as best they can. Mm-hmm. But in some circumstances, if those protective factors aren't there, um, then, you know, that's when we need to be very clear what action needs to be taken. So, Just to tell you a little bit about the hub, the hub was uh, established three years ago with uh, funding from the Welsh Government. Um, So we're now in our third year of existence. And the idea is to really provide a centre that brings together all the learning and the knowledge around adverse childhood experiences in Wales. So um, hearing the point exactly about the lack of join up between services, Mm -hmm. the lack of data sharing, not thinking about this as a systems approach, really taking a very individual organisational uh, approach to things saying well, I've done my bit I've ticked my boxes I've completed my form uh, job done and not thinking then further down the line what what the importance is of sharing that information or, or looking at it in this systems approach and I think domestic homicide reviews the ones that I've seen over the years consistently say you know they there was no professional curiosity there was no sharing of information mm-hmm. services weren't joined up everybody knew what was going on but until you put all those pieces of the jigsaw together um, you can see where the system is mm-hmm failing individuals. So the idea of the hub is to try and get organisations to think more about how they can be more trauma-informed in their practice, understanding what adverse childhood experiences are and using the research that has been really helpful as a platform in Wales to say this is the impact on the Welsh population, you know, mm-hmm. this is what we think is, is, is happening here, but that really is only the platform. What yeah. we need to do is operationalise that and then think about what is it that organisations, individuals, leaders, the whole of society in Wales needs to do 
in order to prevent and mitigate these experiences happening in the first place. So it's not just about saying, here are some ACEs and we know what they are, great. It's about saying, we understand that these things, and there are other things outside of the 10 that are identified Mm -hmm. in the research. So, you know, the death of a parent, you know, is another one. Uh, There's all sorts of other experiences that I think could be really important to think about here. So we mustn't be limited, um, but understanding then the impact of that and what support some people might need and how to provide that. So we're in the third year, as I said, uh, working with uh, a number of sectors in public services, including education, housing, um, and thinking about what they need to be doing to transform the way they operate to be ACE aware and trauma informed in practice. And we've recently run a public awareness campaign uh, called Time to be Kind, where we're trying to speak to the wider society of Wales, to communities, to parents, to families, to say, if you see something that doesn't look quite right, you know, with a, a child that perhaps might be a friend of your child at school, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have a responsibility just to just to say, you know, is everything all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not about taking on a burden. It's about making sure that these children who aren't hitting public services, who aren't hitting a threshold yet in terms of interventions, actually feel that they have somebody who's on their side and perhaps they could go to. And that is as important as, you know, hitting those those thresholds for public services as well. Just want to make one point in particular about uh, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. In the ACES research, it talks about domestic violence as a term, and it, ex- it explains that 17% of those res- the research covered had experienced it. I want to be very clear that that doesn't include coercive control, and it also doesn't include perhaps some of the wider um, things that we would cover under the Valder SV Act or Violence Against Women, Domestic Abuse and Sexual Violence. Uh, so we know that the prevalence of this is, is much higher. Um, And I also want to say that uh, when we talk about children witnessing domestic violence, Mm -hmm. I don't believe that that is ever the case. I think all children in in an environment where this is going on, of domestic abuse of any form, um, will be experiencing it in some way. So we must be clear that, that what we need to do is understand that and what support children might need. Fantastic, thank you. And our final speaker today is Gwendolyn Sturck. Gwendolyn is Head of Public Affairs and Communications for Welsh Women's Aid, which is Wales' national charity working to end domestic abuse and all forms of violence against women. Welsh Women's Aid campaigned to improve practice and services for survivors of violence and abuse and worked to influence and improve law and policy in Wales and across the UK. Welcome Gwendolyn and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. During this podcast, we have heard from Rachel about her experiences of domestic abuse and from Jo, who discussed the impact of ACEs and what we can do to mitigate risk. Can you talk us through some of the policy and campaigning work Welsh Women's Aid carries out? Yes, um, so Welsh Women's Aid has been campaigning um, uh, and driving forward um, uh, policy change on this for 40 years now. Um, And within all of that, within all our work, what we're really working towards is creating a world where um, all women and children live uh, live free from domestic abuse, from sexual violence and any other form of violence against women that, that there is out there. And we really want to achieve um, independence, freedom and liberation from oppression for all women uh, across Wales. Um, as we've heard from both Rachel and Joe, that isn't the case mm-hmm. uh, currently. And we hear from many survivors that access um, our member services across Wales of the... Um, extreme experiences that they're feeling mm. uh, uh, experiencing of abuse um, both as uh, women um, in those relationships but also as children as survivors in those relationships and within a course of controlling relationship a child is a survivor they are having mm. their restrict their lives restricted as much uh, as any of the adults um, in that relationship 
Um, so the campaigning work that we've done and the policy things that we've pushed for, we're very lucky to have um, managed to campaign and get the Violence Against Women, Domestic Abuse and Sexual Violence Act in Wales uh, with the Welsh Government, which brings in duties for public bodies to act to protect, to prevent and to support survivors of, um, of, of violence against women, domestic abuse and sexual violence in Wales. This is a really important piece mm-hmm. of policy in Wales because it, as the, has been discussed by both the previous speakers, what we really need to create change is not just at the individual level, but at that community and society mm-hmm. level. We need everybody to know that domestic abuse is their business and that they can take actions to prevent it, but also to protect and support the survivors out there and to hold okay. perpetrators to account. Mm-hmm. So that means that we have policy now in Wales where we can see public bodies that are trained, have trained individuals that mm-hmm. can um, be a point of disclosure for um, a survivor to talk to that's a safe space and then know how to take action to make sure that that person gets support as early as possible um, to mitigate the, the longer term impacts that uh, domestic abuse can have in um, in that relationship so that's a really important piece of legislation but there is more legislation and more policy yeah. that we need and also in Wales we live under devolved and non-devolved yeah. policy and one of the things that we've been very keen to work on and have worked um, with Rachel and others to um, push very hard on is um, the domestic abuse bill which has yeah. actually fallen yeah. with the general election um, but we really hope that that does mm-hmm. come back because within that legislation we can see some really important non-devolved pieces of legislation Mm -hmm. that can protect people particularly around the the protection orders um, that um, uh, Rachel mentioned and is campaigning on and and improving the criminal justice system and Mm -hmm. the family justice system one of the things that we're pushing on within the family justice system for example is to ban any cross-examination of the perpetrator of the survivor in that situation and make that space a space that's as protecting children but Mm -hmm. also working with the non-abusive parent to make sure that that we create a safe environment for the women and children uh, going forward once they've left an abusive situation fantastic thank you Um, can you talk us through the seeds project and how survivors inform the policy yeah, so we, Welsh Women's Aid have been piloting uh, what's called the SEEDS project. Mm-hmm. That sounds for Survivors Empowered and Educating Services. And it's really about um, going back to the essence of where the violence against women sector mm-hmm. came from. You know, we are a sector set up by women for women that have experienced violence and abuse and making sure that that those voices that are experiencing it and have the expertise by experience are informing the change that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been really lucky to work with an amazing group of women that have come forward and, and, and participated within the SEEDS project um, and we were enable, enabled them to uh, participate in a range of activities. We've given them training on media mm-hmm. so they've been able to speak out in the media and tell their stories and, and make sure that the society as a whole in Wales understands what's happening to women um, that often isn't seen and heard elsewhere. Um, we've also worked with them uh, to inform the development of, of new services. So one area we worked with in Cardiff, uh, commissioning of uh, a new um, uh, range of services in, in the capital, was we worked with the women to hold focus groups to, uh, to discuss what was what was there, what was good about what mm-hmm. they, you know, with the services that they previously experienced, where, where were the gaps, what were the perhaps barriers for them to come forward. We had discussions and that fed into what was the service specification that we developed. Um, And then they also then sat on the commissioning decision panel and were able to inform the decision on who actually was going to run those services going forward. So it was a really fantastic way of 
having survivors you know learning from what they'd experienced the goods and and the bad aspects of what they'd experienced and then informing what we now provide um in provision and then we you know they they are driving for a force uh, and really pushing for change um around policy they've been involved in um focus groups uh, to look at the domestic abuse uh, legislation at a UK level. They've, they're going in and telling ministers, mm-hmm. both at Welsh Government and, 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 and uh, at a UK government level, what what they want to say and they're getting their voices heard and it's very hard for a minister to not to hear that yeah. and not want to create change when you hear stories like Rachel's you know we know that we need to create that change to make sure that that doesn't happen again and it's so powerful having survivor voices at the forefront of everything that we do within this sector thank you very much Gwendolyn thank you before we end today's podcast I would like to ask each of you what next what do you think needs to be done to further highlight domestic abuse and the impacts hold perpetrators to account and work to eradicate domestic abuse in all its forms. I'll start with you, Rachel. Mm, where day long have I got? <laughs> um, so we need more money for a start. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to, as a society, hold the perpetrator to account, stop putting the onus on the victim and the children all the time. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I always say, yeah, we've got a massive um, shortfall with refuge space. But really, you know, some of these women don't even want to go into a refuge. They want to stay in their own homes and we should be able to keep them safe in their own homes and hassle the perpetrator if we need to. You know, we can, you know, keep a a log and a track on uh, on terrorists. Why can't we do the same for domestic terrorists? Because that's what they are, domestic terrorists. Um, So, yeah, so more money. Let's hold the perpetrators to account, um, you know, and, and everybody needs to realise that domestic abuse and violence is everybody's business. And people probably don't realise, and I always state that the one fact, you know, is the big, biggest killer of women and girls across the globe. And I just started a movement called Stand Up to Domestic Abuse. You know, we stand up to cancer mm-hmm. and we've got a campaign for that, you know. More women, uh, young girls aged 16 to 44 um, die at the hands of an abuser than they do at cancer. So it's about time everybody recognised it for what it is. It's an epidemic and we all need to be part of eradicating it. Thank you, Rachel. Jo? Okay, well, thank you. So <laughs> I agree with everything that, that Rachel has just said, but also I think one of the things that I've been reflecting on looking at the work we've been doing around ACEs is that we are very good at trying to manage something once it's happened we're not so good at preventing it and understanding what we mean by the word prevention this is not about saying we're waiting for for somebody to have that experience it's about stopping it happening in the first place Mm -hmm. and i think whilst it's really important to ensure that we absolutely have the right services in place and of course they need to be uh, funded appropriately and and all the rest of it we really as a society need to stop normalizing this sort of behavior stop accepting it as something that happens um and i've had experience where i've been told not to interfere because this is a, a family matter i mean this is this is ridiculous quite frankly it's absolutely key for me to, for, to ensure that people understand the importance of coercive control in all of this mm-hmm. and that this is a continuum of violence it's not just uh, just physical violent acts that happen behind closed doors this is this is something that that society needs to to really get behind and understand and i just don't think we're there yet thank you joe gwendolyn yeah, absolutely agreeing mm-hmm. with everything that's been said um, before me. But um, I think 
One of the things that's really keen um, that we want to drive forward is that this happens for all women and children. Um, you know, we, we're, we've been talking to Welsh Government and the UK Government about having secure and sustainable funding for services um, to make sure that we have services there uh, for every woman. And that includes uh, migrant women um, and LGBT women. And we make sure that we have an inclusive mm-hmm. um, approach, uh, approach to addressing this. Uh, and also for all children, um, one of the things that we're looking at is the lack of sustainable funding for children's service and for prevention services that Absolutely. happen with children mm-hmm. um, we have children's workers that work have got five hours a week mm-hmm. how, what, how much work can you do on, on five hours a week to actually prevent any of the impacts of aces or actually any Absolutely. you know um, uh, mitigate any of those um, situations that somebody's been in um, so we need to see investment um, by everybody mm-hmm. with, within uh, within this and everybody making sure that they understand that this is their business to address this and prevent it from happening in the future Thank you very much. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank each of our guests for sharing their experience, insight and expertise. As a society, we must continue to work together in partnership to raise awareness of domestic abuse and to eradicate gender-based violence. If you would like to find out more about national campaigns, you can visit the Welsh Government website where links and information on their campaigns such as This is not love, this is a control, a campaign which raises awareness of coercive control and aims to help people identify coercive controlling behaviours. And don't be a bystander, a campaign which aims to show how powerful a positive intervention can be for someone who is experiencing domestic abuse. You can also visit our website at www.calandvs.org.uk and you can follow each of our organisations on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you are experiencing domestic abuse and require urgent support, please contact the 24-hour Live Fear Free helpline on 0808 80 10 800. To play us out, we'll play uh, Sam Easton's song, uh, which he has written specifically for Callan Domestic Violence and Abuse Services. Thank you. Jump in with both feet till you know that the waters run deep. Don't you give up your heart to a boy who stole and broke it all before? And I know you might not want to hear this even though you know in your mind it's true but I know he's a loaded gun turn on your heels and run
your heels and run What Next, a podcast by Cullen DVS. This podcast was produced by Buffoon Media.